Hello and welcome back to the How to Dance Sober podcast, where I look to rebrand sobriety in the music industry and beyond. It is now episode six. Uh, today I'm joined by a really talented DJ, producer, uh, educator, teacher by the name of Nomine. So Nominee is just one of his aliases and has a corresponding record label by the name of Nominee Sounds, also has his other D&B focused alias by the name of Outrage. Um, really interesting chat, super, super um, knowledgeable about music. So I really could have just talked all day long about music, really. Um, but yeah, some solid music chat and as always, a good amount of sobriety chat to come later in the show so i hope everyone is doing well i hope in particular everyone in england is holding on to hope that we're going to get back to dance floors at some point soon as yet again we've had our freedom date pushed back um but fingers crossed in a little less than four weeks we will be there um i don't know about you guys but i had a couple of gigs planned well one gig of me playing couple that i'll be attending that have now either been cancelled or postponed um so yeah fingers crossed we'll get that delay that delayed date in july where we'll all get back on the dance floors or maybe you are feeling a little apprehensive about getting back on dance floors i know a lot of people have got sober over lockdown so going out clubbing for the first time sober is a bit of a daunting thought so if it is Drop me a message. Hit me up on Instagram. Um, it's at How to Dance Sober. Feel free to drop into the DMs and let me know how you're feeling. I'd love to help in any way that I can because, I mean, I've been doing it for years and it was definitely a bit of a daunting task to start off with, but I certainly feel like I have mastered it. So hit me up. Anyway, this podcast has actually inspired me to get up at 5 a.m every day this week so far to make music before I start my day job. Um, that's how inspiring this guy is because believe me, I haven't been enjoying the 5am starts, but they've definitely been productive. So I am sticking with it. Um, so I hope you get as much inspiration from this as I do. So without further ado, let's hit play. <laughs> to this chat actually yeah thanks for uh thanks for asking me so how did you so how did you uh, introduce you to me or will kirby so dj santero yeah definitely good old will yeah so i i was gonna say i can't remember if he said that he knew you or he knew just knew that you were sober yeah no we, so you know will no, i know will <clears throat> we were on a, a panel a mental health yeah so get ahead oh we've done some work oh, with get yeah ahead. yeah Obviously, Will was in with them, and we were on a panel together and talking about mental health and stuff like that. So, yeah. And we was also in, um, where were we? Overseas somewhere together, again, on a panel. But, yeah, no, Will was a good man. Good man. He is indeed. Yeah, yeah. So he was the first guest that I had on my podcast. Um, nice. So, yeah, I know him know him from DJing in London, really. Um, used to play at Bordy Ballison. Got to know him through there, really. And he, he, uh, he cut booze out, like, Think, I think a bit less than six months before me. So it's kind of similar similar points in the journey along the way. So as soon as I started this, I was thinking, right, Will's got to be my first person. Um, and then he's put me onto a couple of people since that. So yeah, it's been it's been going all right. So yeah, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Um yeah, man. thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, so yeah, how's your day been? Uh it's been all right. Started at five o'clock this morning. I see you enjoy your early starts. I don't know if I enjoy them. <laughs> do them because um i don't feel like there's enough hours in the day okay. and I'm not one of these people i try i try and stop myself from saying oh i need to find the time to do this or find the time to do that. there's no such thing as finding the time you have to make time so for me getting up a couple of hours early to squeeze in some extra time in the day to get stuff done if i'm being sensible of balance obviously you know i need to get sleep and stuff but yeah i find it very productive in the morning so i, I do it i'm used to it now but yeah i don't know if i enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> so what time are you usually sitting down at the studio assuming you're in the studio most days right 
I am, but the nine to five is education based. So I yeah. like a studio session at five a.m., like some sound design or sketching out some ideas, and then um, run my dog, have breakfast, showered up, and then back in here for the nine to five, which is um, yeah, online music production education and that's kind of the bread and butter so that's where I put most of my working day occasionally I might finish a bit early to squeeze in some more studio, studio time but at the moment it's like 5 a.m and then a bit of time on the weekend to make music so yeah nice so the kind of nine to five um tuition stuff is that like one-to-one stuff are you doing group sessions or I run a company called education and base we've got it's an online subscription company and uh, I've been running that for four years now um, yep. We've got 1,000 music production tutorials, courses, and lectures online. We also run an accredited program in partnership with Rock School, where um, you can do a year-long program and get a qualification. Um, and we also do one-to-one where possible or online. We do a lot of collaboration masterclasses with software and hardware brands. We've come on Visotope recently, Kilo Hearts, where we have like up to 500 people on a Zoom call, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And then we've taken education and base around the world as an event, just kind of seminars and masterclasses, literally taking that around the world, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, um, hopefully looking to get back out there once all this madness is, has eased up a bit. Yeah, I bet. Did, did that mess up a lot of your plans, did it, by any chance? Yeah, well, we were literally, we'd just started a football stadium tour of the UK um, doing workshops with the young premiership football players. We'd done... Uh, Stadium, Hillsborough, um, West Ham, and another one, the one we did that I just cannot remember. But yeah, it was great to just, you know, work with the young players who are potentially looking for life after football because yeah. unfortunately all of them get to do, you know, to continue on with football. Some of them dropped and uh, it was kind of like a careers uh, event where it goes around the country, the fire brigade, the police, and we were there to talk to them about DJ and the music production. Just started and we'd done one, and then we were hoping to do the rest of the country, but it didn't happen. So hopefully we can pick up back on that when it all opens back yeah. up. It sounds like a really interesting concept. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah Hills Hill, Hill was like a mile from my house. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so you say you say we were talking. Who is it you do it with? Oh well, education and based. There's a whole crew of us from uh, across a different uh, range of genres. So we've got. Digital, who's a jungle drum and bass producer. Nerve, who's done grime, dubstep. We've got people like Timo Garcia, um, AKA Nolan, who's done a lot of house and disco and loads of stuff for a lot of the top house labels. We've got uh, Special Circumstances, who does techno. But yeah, a wide range of experienced tutors that have teaching experience that are also active in the industry. That's one, that's our ethos that you know, if we're there sharing the knowledge that we're actually doing it as well, because the industry moves so quickly, as does technology, we want to make sure our fingers are on the pulse and we're handing down the most current relevant knowledge as possible. But yeah, sometimes there's a couple of us on the road. Sometimes there's a crew of us. It really depends on kind of availability and the and, uh, logistics of it all. But yeah, we're a, a crew that's just happy to hand down the knowledge that we've accumulated over the, well, myself nearly 25 years but collectively 400 years of experience yeah so yeah it sounds great i I mentioned on uh, i messaged you on instagram didn't i just even the free content that's on your education and base and even your own um instagram page is just incredible (laughs) it's just so much of it so i I can't even begin to imagine how much content you've actually got in your paid courses yeah yeah, a lot a lot (laughs) so you just mentioned 25 years you've been making music right DJing, 25 years, like making me, well, maybe 22, dabbling. I started dabbling and then I'd say early 2000s, 2000, 2001 is when I started things more seriously. Okay, nice. So tell us a bit about how you started DJing and how that led into production. I'm guessing, did you you start off with dubstep? Is that where your kind of foundations are from or is that that how it's I... I'll tell you the story, but yeah, dubstep. I when I got signed to Temper, which is like the innovating dubstep label, um, kind of launched 
forward, you know, obviously a part of Rinse FM as well, big part of the foundation of, of dubstep. I, at that point, I hadn't even been to a dubstep rave and I didn't own a dubstep no rave. No way. Yeah, but my, my roots are jungle drum and bass. I've been, uh, I, I was on the first wave of being at school when everybody wanted to be a DJ back in the early to mid 90s. So it was kind of hard. When I was at school, it was happy hardcore and hardcore and rave was mm. what was going on. And I was only in my teens, like 12, 13, and we were listening to like Dreamscape 2 tapes and stuff from like the early 90s. And then as as you know, it evolved into hardcore, then it went into kind of like jungle techno, and then it filtered out into jungle. And I, I gravitated towards the jungle side of things. I used to save my school dinner money to go and buy vinyl on the weekends because I was pretty poor. And I stuck at it, you know, buying records, cheap set of decks, sending off demo tapes to rave promoters to get gigs, which worked back then, you know, if you yeah. a selection of music. It, it wasn't on Instagram followers back then, right? <laughs> on a can you mix or so we'd always go around all the record shops and try and get the white labels before everybody else or if you were clever enough you'd see the phone numbers on the white labels and phone them up and ask them to send you some records or pay for a subscription service or or something back then and that's kind of where I started um and I did jungle drum and bass 15 years I got signed to Goldie's Metalhead's label worked for a lot of the top drum and bass labels got to tour the world about three times um as a DJ and yeah, the dubstep thing kind of came when I just decided that I was a bit, I was a bit lost actually. I was spending a lot of time in America and I'd been living the tour life, messy, messy, messy time. Like, you know, the whole alcohol thing and drugs and mental health and all that kind of stuff that, you know, can come with it if you allow it to um, and can take over and do a lot of damage did that for many years and I kind of just got a bit lost and just wanted to reset the buttons and I was either going to quit music or just start a new alias where nobody knew who I was just to kind of just break the shackles and find my love for it again and I did exactly that I started the nominate thing as an alias that nobody knew who I was there was a bit of hype on the internet on the dubstep forum and I was like who is nominate is it burial is it zombie there was this little like like loads of uh messages and comments on this on the dubstep forum yeah and i got my gig i actually bought a mask a ninja mask and i was gonna wear it because i didn't want people to know who i was but i loved djing but i bottled it played my set the next day it was out that you know nominees outrage and um yeah i am now and i'm kind of straddling the two i did the nominee thing for quite a few years but nominee is now multi-genre so on my label, I can release techno, house, trip hop, dubstep, grime. In fact, I have on vinyl and digital. Yeah, yeah. And relaunching the Outrage project at the moment, finding my love for drum and bass again. So yeah, it's been a bit, been in a, it's been a non-linear journey to say the least. It, it sounds like it. I'd say it's, it's definitely a good sign when people are saying, "Are oh, you burial?" <laughs> I yeah. think that's always a good sign. You're on the right track, right? I wonder if I'd have kept the mystique, what would have happened? Like if yeah. I'd have the mask because i don't think many people can get away with that stuff you know you've got subtract zombie burial obviously dead mouse and marshmallow on the edm side of things but yeah i do wonder if i'd have kept the mystique how things would have turned out but i'm able to just help people now and for me that's the most important thing so at what point throughout your career did you decide to focus on um educating and, and like how long was did you launch ed, education and base straight away or were you sort of doing a lot of one-to-ones already how did that kind of move into a an education standpoint i was doing these workshops council-led actually alcohol awareness um i was on a alcohol awareness course in my early 20s because i've had a long history of like battling alcohol and stuff as a binger not not daily dependent but like hardcore binging and so i was at this alcohol awareness course because i got into a bit of bother through alcohol and i heard of this kind of youth drop-in center that was for kind of awareness and kind of uh, the young teenagers maybe a bit younger actually but it was, they were talking to them about drugs and alcohol but they also had people there like teaching them how to sing, how to drum. And I got asked if I wanted to do a little music production thing. So I had a little room with a computer and I can't remember the name of the production program. I think it was um, some basic program that I had that I was teaching the kids to make music on. And then when I returned back to the UK at the same time as I started Nominee, 
I, a friend of mine said that I should apply to do this master's degree, advanced music technology at University of West London. And I haven't even got any qualification. I hadn't even had a GCSE at that point to my name, no qualification whatsoever. I applied for the masters and I got accepted on there through my industry experience. And I was blown away because I never even considered university as an option in my life. Um, it was a one year full-time masters, nearly killed me, nearly had a nervous breakdown. Towards the end, I hit the booze pretty hard and nearly fell off big time. Luckily, I got through it, applied myself, and I was 2% away from getting a scholarship to a PhD, which was mind-blowing because I was a bad student at school. Thought I was stupid. It was kind of suggested that I probably was by my teachers and other people. But actually, it just turned out I had chronic anxiety. So um, later on in life, I realized that I can learn, but I just do it a bit differently. So I did this master's started nominate, got, got my album deal with Temper and my first teaching job at Bedford College teaching a DJ module all in the same week. So I got no accepted way. on the first teaching job and the album deal. Yeah, that year was, um, it was hardcore. And I was, my first lesson was in front of 40, 16 to 19 year olds teaching them DJing. Never taught to that soft size group before. Ended up being at Bedford College for nearly seven years and I ended up teaching the whole of music tech and I was pretty much running the foundation degree for University of Bedfordshire out of Bedford College um, of music technology. I did a teaching degree alongside it and then yeah I, I just wanted to kind of spread my wings further. I've been doing those online tips for six years now and I used to call them the 60 second tips and they were primarily on Facebook and they used to rack up about 20,000 views each on Facebook. Yeah. That's when the algorithm was a bit more friendly towards us then and it was basically a nugget that I would pluck out from a lesson or a lecture that I was delivering that day that I just wanted to share to the masses, to my, to my audience. And they kind of gained a bit of traction. I was kind of not happy at my job. I felt like I'd hit a glass ceiling. I just wanted to do things bigger and better on a, on a And had this idea of education base, which started off as an event down at Brick Lane, Cafe 1001. Uh, invite a bunch of multi-genre DJs down to do a DJ set. But prior to the DJ set, we'd ask them to share tips, tri tricks, and kind of secrets of the industry and stuff that they'd picked up as DJs or producers. And from that, I just took it online and haven't looked back since. And that was the event started in 2016, educational-based online started in 2017. So it sounds like you just had this, like, almost like a wave of education in later life that's, that served you really well. So you said that you uh, got accepted for this master's in production. Um, you obviously got yourself to a, a decent standard in production with release of music and whatnot before then. Was that mainly self-taught? 100% self-taught. I, I was lucky to have some good mentors around me, like drum and bass, jungle kind of legends, like digital, um, spirit. I'd got used to always get feedback from big DJs like Bailey, Loxie, Goldie, Storm. So, you know, I, I kind of, I was always very proactive and I always networked. So I'd turn up to a rave with CDs or DATs and give them out to the DJs and I'd support the cause, traveling up and down the country. You know, I was everywhere following kind of like my favorite DJs just to kind of network and support the scene. And yeah, I had some good people around me and just really loved, loved the music and just started to analyze it and, learn it but I had some some people around that showed me some of the basics but yeah primarily self-taught with some great mentors around me it's incredible so and you've always been London based have you uh, I'm from Bedford so I was um okay. about four years ago I was in Bedford well I lived in Thailand I lived in America but that was my that was my base Bedford yeah now I'm in um I'm in West Sussex near Gatwick Okay. So, so in terms of DJing, how much were you DJing pre-lockdown or was you, were you kind of mainly focused on your education and bass stuff? Did it take much away in terms of DJing? I think I was doing like 20, 30 gigs a year. Not lows, but decent enough. Like enough, I'm talking yeah. international as well. I did like a Japan tour, six, seven days, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I was always pretty active. I've always been kind of self-sufficient with getting gigs and like I say, networking and, and whatever else. So 
I've always been pretty lucky like that. Well, I'm just, you know, it's in me to to hustle and and do, yeah. do the work to get to get the work. So yeah, it was it was decent enough, but it wasn't. I gave up probably the same time as I decided to start the nominated project and return back to education and become a lecturer was when I decided not to try and live off of music because it was so hard. It was like hand to mouth each month. If a gig cancelled, couldn't pay my rent, child support, it was horrible, you know, and I was doing all right on paper to look in. You might, you must've, you know, people would have probably thought he's doing okay, but unless you're kind of a listing or out three or four times a week and, You've got a good agent. It's it's so hard, and and people now that haven't got that, I feel so bad for them because it's you know it's horrible that that's just been taken away. It's hard enough when it's there and things are slow, but but for the rug to be totally pulled, it's absolutely awful out there. Yeah, it's definitely been a weird year. I mean, for me, it kind of um, it really gave me the kick that I needed to get back into production. So I've I've probably produced off and on for seven years maybe um and i guess going back to you saying it's not about finding the time it's making the time i just want i just didn't make, got into habits that i just didn't make the time so i've always had a full-time nine-to-five job alongside it um whereas i, I was put on furlough last year uh especially as soon as it hit in march so then had five months solid of basically been able to do nine to five music. So it really gave me like the kick up the ass. I needed to get back on, back on track. And then once you're doing it enough, you're enjoying it. You feel like you're progressing. I feel like I've managed to continue it now. I'm back at work now. Um, it's just <laughs> that longing to play a gig again, you know? Um, have you have you had any that were booked sort of in the next four weeks? Now we've just had our um, freedom date pushback. Or has that not affected you? No, I've had some inquiries for like, September, October, a festival in Romania and a couple of other nice. things. To be honest, you know, you're only ever as good as your last release these days as a DJ because it's kind of about the music that you make. And the last couple of years, even a year before lockdown, my output wasn't as much because a lot of my energy, my energy was going into building education and bass. So the label was still moving and I released an album from an artist called Boylan. Um, and kept the label moving. But as as for myself, I wasn't releasing much music. So the inquiries don't come in unless you sure. put, you know, but I've made a ton of music in, or since lockdown, a lot, probably the most I've ever made. And I've got two very exciting projects on the horizons, one for Nominate and one for Outrage. So that's all good. And I'm sure I'll make up for, for lost time when things, when possible. Yeah, looking forward to hearing some of that. Yeah, thanks. Um, Nominate Sounds is your label, right? Yes, one of one of them. Okay, so wh when did you start that, and what was the kind of push for you to start that? What was the mindset behind it? You, you mentioned it's like a, a multi-genre label. Was that something that was intentional from the get-go, or is that something that's kind of developed as you've just signed more music that you like? No, I think Nominate got signed to temper I, I had one release on a friend's label as nominee that first release on a friend's label called dubzilla my friend jose and literally off the back of that ep i was invited onto radio one um through nihau who was djing on there because I, I i incorporate a lot of eastern ethnic sort of instrumentation and scales especially with the early nominee stuff um and i knew nihau from from my drum and bass uh stuff so sent some music to him and he invited me onto the show for an interview. It was like my first release as nominee, which was crazy. I was on Radio 1. And then literally straight after that, I got signed to Temper for like an, a, a three-album deal. Um, I did one album, five EPs, and then I finished my deal to just go on my own journey, really, because, like I said, I wasn't a dubstep producer or DJ. Yeah. I, I was thing at 140 and it just got embraced by the dubstep community which was great i didn't know anything about dubstep before i was in fact i used to laugh at dubstep and i used to be a genre snob you know i was like oh yeah dubstep's rubbish and then i was just ignorant because dubstep and the community was no different to us jungle and drum and bass as kids when we got into it we didn't know anything and we had to develop and grow and there was me this you know, this ignorant genre snob that was like, oh yeah, that's rubbish. But we all came from that. And actually what dubstep went on to do, the culture that it built and the movement and the fact that, you know, bass music 
off the back of dubstep, you had Scuba go off and do his thing, Screams going off and doing his thing, Martin, who was a drum and bass producer that went off to do his thing in the 130 sort of world, getting signed to Ninja. And, you know, that whole burial, all of these amazing artists came out of the dubstep, um, you know, evolution. And I wasn't ever a dubstep producer and I wanted, the whole reason for me starting Nominee was to not be confined and put in a box. So I, you know, I, I did the thing for Temper because obviously why not? I mean, what an amazing opportunity to, to work with Temper. And then I just felt like I wanted to expand upon that and just not be restricted. Although Temper were quite, they were good. They let me, I was doing some dub, dub techno sort of stuff. I'd always creep in a little 120, 130 thing, like on a three track EP. My album was like half 140, half 120, 130 and then one drum and bass bit. So I'd really kind of started to venture into the 120, 130 BPM range anyway. And they were quite accommodating with that. But I just, I just wanted to go on my own journey. I didn't, I didn't want to have to wait for a release. You know, obviously a label that big has only got so many artists and slots that they can release to year. And I just wanted to put more music out. But ironically, <laughs> I haven't put a ton out in the last kind of couple of years. But yeah, it was just, just to kind of have my own outlet and for me to bring other artists through and give people opportunities new producers people i know and yeah just to have that platform really nice story i like that have you got any artists in particular that you're quite excited that you're hearing music from at the moment yeah like i said i did an album um, album by a producer called boylan he came from the grime scene but his stuff was very heavy and industrial and very i don't know it, i wouldn't actually say it was grime I'd say it was more like dubstep, but then that's what I'm saying about these whole blurred lines and bass music mm. thing. Um, so I heard some of his stuff and I was like, look, you would do serious damage in my world and kind of put an EP out by him and Slimzy. Slimzy being like the godfather of grime, you know. Yeah, yeah. I put an EP out of them. It did really well. They were happy because I'd kind of introduced them to, to my world. I was happy because it was really good, unique, different music. And then I took an album from Boylan and he featured Rico, Flo Dan. He had a bunch of collabs on there. So that was, um, you know, I, I love Boylan. His music's just solid. It's, it's always, it's, you know, those producers where you just know whenever you play their track in a club, it does what it needs to do. Never to beat, yeah, yeah. Always those, those handful of producers where you're like, let me just draw for a Boylan track and it just smashes the place to pieces. So him definitely... Um, there's a couple of lads called Seraphim who are 140 primarily with similar to my Eastern flavors, but they're a bit more uplifting and kind of grimy, but dubstepy with Eastern flavors. I've took an EP from them that's coming out on vinyl, hopefully in the next four or five weeks. Nice. I saw that you did a remix for Mayor Jane Coles recently. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, she she's a producer that I've always just loved her sound. She has such a unique sound to her tracks. I feel like you can tell it's one of her tracks without seeing it, right? Um, tell us a bit about that. How did that come around? I hit her up because I love her house as well. <clears throat> I love her deep house, really. Yeah, like, yeah. like you say, she has a little sprinkle of her own vocals, just the way she uses those filtered down basses and the side chaining. Um, really, really fa big fan of her sound. So I just hit her up one day on instagram and she was like I'm, I'm a big fan of your music i play it in my nocturnal sunshine sets i was like no way i was like that's mad and then she invited me to her album launch the not the last nocturnal sunshine album launch down at fold is that like a like a year year and a half more well, must have been closer to two years because we've been in lockdown for nearly two years that was at fold yeah i think it was literally just before lockdown anyway went down there Kind of because I guess for me, I wasn't, I, I did hear the Nocturnal Sunshine stuff because she was at one point it was kind of like dubstepy and then she was doing this hybrid kind of unique stuff. And I was, but I wasn't entirely sure of that world. But when I went to the event, I was like, wow, she was playing like not just her, but the, the lineup were playing um, kind of 120, 130 with jungle breaks and big B lines and it went into the house. I had a really good time and I just said, look, 
I'd love to do a remix sometime. And she just, just gave me the track to remix. And yeah, it just came out, well, came out as a Beatport exclusive two weeks ago. I'm not sure on the official release date, but it's, it's about right now, yeah. Yeah, great story. I like it. Mm. Um, definitely an interesting uh, sort of collaboration of sounds there. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Recondite on the on the EP as well. I just thought it was such, a, such an interesting lineup of producers. I love it when you just see an EP that's clearly just clearly brought some different scenes together and just put out this kind of awesome body of music. So, yeah, um, yeah. definitely worth checking out. So, yeah, moving on a little bit onto the sobriety side of things. Um, yeah, how long ago was it that you cut alcohol out of your life? It's got to be good when you start to forget. I think this is my eighth year maybe my ninth but i like that i like the fact that i can't remember now because it means it's getting further and further away and I, i'm not trying to count it anymore yeah don't drink simple as that it's not like something i'm trying to keep tabs on but yeah i think it's my eighth or even ninth year nice i like that yeah i i feel like um so i'm, I'm like coming up three years and i feel like i've just to start off with, I was very kind of strict on counting. I was like, oh, it's been X amount of months. Like, obviously, for me, the years are still quite a just a just a cool feeling when you hit the years. But yeah, I I, I feel like there'll come a point where I just <laughs> sort of lose track. Yeah. So tell us a bit about what led you to that initially. You kind of touched on it earlier that um, you were touring and partying pretty hard. I imagine as as comes with a lot of tours especially in in dance music you're kind of surrounded by well you're, you're in clubs every single night um and with that often comes loads of booze and quite often the drugs what kind of led you to making the decision to cut it out i was actually told that i would die if i didn't um i mean i've had i've been drinking since i've been drinking since i was 13 cider in the park that era where you're hanging out in the park with your mates asking an adult that's going into the local shop to buy you some cider diamond white at the time 8.2 percent a bottle two of those well away and then it got to four then it was six and it was eight and this was like from 13 and i was nicking bottles of whiskey out my dad's cabinet at lunchtime school going back to school totally smashed on whiskey and we're talking like 13 14 15 and my dad was an alcoholic got a long line of alcoholism in, in my family um, on my dad's side of the family um, he was a recovering alcoholic when he met my mum they met in rehab she was anorexic and they were at some sort of counseling therapy group therapy session and they met together uh, met through kind of rehab there but I didn't see him as the daily dependent alcoholic that he was for many years I saw him as the binger which is what I turned into so I'm not saying it was his fault at all. It was just, you know, coincidence that it ended up happening or I, I allowed it to, to be my life as well. But he would, like, work very hard. And then if it was a bank holiday weekend or Easter or Christmas or if we went away on, like, a caravan holiday, he would just get absolutely smashed for the whole time, but non-stop. I've got early memories of, you know, him asking me to go downstairs and get him a can of beer in the morning but I didn't think there was anything wrong with that at the time because I was obviously young and he drank beer. I didn't think it was something that he had to be conscious of in regards to time. And, yeah, so, I, you know, it's been in the family a long time and I started drinking and I was never daily dependent, but I was definitely a binger. So I would wake up some times still a bit drunk. You know, the ones where you wake up, you're still a bit tiddling. It feels kind of good sometimes, right? And then I would phone up some mates after having a good night on the piss and then be like, oh, should we do it again tonight or this afternoon? And most of the time my mates were like, nah, you know, I'm, you know, forget it till next week or maybe tonight, but certainly not this afternoon. So I just started getting earlier and earlier and I could easily, ironically, well, I was drinking in the clubs for many years and I got into a bit of bother. I'd always get into fights and make a fool of myself and I'd, look on a forum and there'd be a, pit, a drum and bass forum and someone would have took a picture of me, you know, over a chair, empty bottle of vodka at a gig or pulling my pants down to 2000 people in Eastern Europe while I was DJing, you know, stupid stuff that I guess at the time it, it's kind of fun, but I've got kids and, you know, I, I just didn't want that to be a thing, but more, more the fight, the aggressiveness that was coming out through alcohol when I was, you know, starting to get known through my music but then I was aggressive 
and it was you're in the limelight all of a sudden and I'd be a lot of fun well so others said to a certain point and then I'd just switch so I stopped drinking in the clubs and of course when I was drinking yeah it was there rider mini bar you know it's all there it's free whatever you want is, is there and, and I, I took advantage of that when I was drinking but at the same time I could easily not do it like I could go six months or I could tour for two months three months not touch a drop but then when I came home I'd be on this come down and I became this closet drinker where I'd just sit on my own and binge almost like a start off as maybe a celebration oh, that was good now I just want to wind down you know it was always good for blocking out my anxiety alcohol just to take the edge off or whatever so that become a thing as well where I'm not on tour anymore and I've got this void that I'm trying to fill you know, all sorts of demons going on in my head and alcohol was always a good way to kind of temporarily block that out um so I just became this binger I, I could easily like I say go out not drink but it was the problem at home when nobody knew what I was doing five ten the last binge I had was 15 days straight and um to cut a long story short going out back and forward to like therapy and alcohol awareness and AA and all that stuff I went into this drop-in center and one of the it was a drop-in center for alcohol and drugs that was run by um, recovering addicts and alcoholics and yeah. um, one lady looked me in the eyes off a 15-day binge I was gray I felt, I actually felt like I was going to die, but I'm, I'm talking blackouts where like I'm drinking for 15 days. I remember bits and bobs and I'm just waking up surrounded by empty cans, wine bottles, vodka bottles, and just not knowing what, what the hell's gone on. She looked me in the eyes and said, you're going to die. Of course. One day I'm not going to wake up from those blackouts. You know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night starting to feel sober look around me and just grab the nearest half a can and just neck it just to take that edge off again and it was starting to get dark like it was already dark yeah. starting to get very dark so I didn't have a choice um it one when she said that to me I don't know what it was because I'd been asked a million times by family friends oh you need to knock it on the head it's not for you didn't ever kind of sink in but that day when I was feeling the way I felt and in that moment, when she looked me in the eyes and just said, you're going to die, something just, a light went on and I haven't touched a drop since. And I can't stand the thought of alcohol. If I think about it, my stomach turns. Yeah. So something happened, it just snapped. And I, even to this day, I, pick, oh, I went to the fridge. It really pissed me off, actually. Like last year, I think it was, I went to the fridge for a Diet Coke, grabbed it, opened it, took a swig, looked, it was a bud. bud. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw a bit of it, but I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was really out of my stomach and, it, and all the nasty memories. I mean, they're always still there anyway. I have these vivid yeah. of being drunk and I wake up and I'm like, thank God. But, uh, yeah. I have exactly that. And, you know, I've spoken to so many people that have the same. I'm like super vivid. I haven't quite recently just of just like going on a mad bender. Um, and I remember like in this dream, my dad coming up to me said, Tom, you don't drink, remember? I'm thinking, oh, shit. And then waking up and just there's that like relief, isn't there? <laughs> Thank God it's not real. Relief is so good. It's like, ah. Oh. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, that's the story really for the alcohol. But yeah, there's loads of stuff in between. But I mean, I, the drug thing was there. The alcohol was the gateway. Um, yeah, I yeah. socially dabble in the not just dabble. I socially go in pretty hard sometimes. Mm. But I work at home, ordering drugs and all that stuff. Yeah. It's more like if if I was out and it was there, I'm having it. You know. And yeah. in times where it was kind of an arranged thing, but mostly it was just in the moment, pissed. Something's going on. I'm like, yeah, let's have it that sort of vibe for the most part yeah I, i'd have to agree with you there i feel for me it was like yeah the drugs didn't necessarily take over it wasn't like i'd be at home doing drugs by myself or anything but it's just like it's just always when you're in the scene that the music scene that we're in kind of thing or just the general club nightlife scene it's just it's just it's everywhere isn't it it's, it's kind of hard to escape and it's just there and once you've had a few beers you're not making the most rational decisions so you're not you're not going to say no to something like that 
Um, so but you, you mentioned a few kind of external influences there, like a couple of, I don't know if you mentioned a couple of mentions from either friends or family, and then ultimately that lady that looked you in the eye and told you you're going to die. Um, so there's obviously a lot of external influences that led to that light coming on in the end. Um, do you feel like leading up to it, you were that aware how big of an issue it was? Was there any kind of internal signals that you were thinking, right, I need to do this? But regardless of these ex external signals. Yeah, I knew it was happening. I, the binges were getting longer. Everything was getting darker. You know, I was doing, I, there was, yeah, it just got so dark. I was just getting into more and more messed up situations where I'd just, you know, I'd get stranded in Australia. I was on tour in Australia once and um, um, some friends that I knew out there got drinking Jaeger at the bar dabbling in other stuff. Before you know it, we're driving around all these hotels in the city to try and find the hotel I was at to get my bags because I didn't know what hotel I was at because they were like, come to an after, come to our house, have a party and we'll take you to the airport in the morning. So we're like going into all these hotels. Am I staying here? Like Andrew Ferguson. And then we found it. <laughs> got, my back, got my luggage, went back to his house party. I woke up at, I don't know, I don't remember anything. I woke up wrapped up in this pink blanket cuddling a bottle of Southern Comfort, looked at my, my phone and I was literally flying in half an hour back to Thailand where I was living at the time. And it was a use it or lose it flight. And I woke the, my friend up, you got to get me to the airport, got to the airport, missed the flight, had to spend 500 quid on another flight, but like two, three days later, because there wasn't another one. And I was on the nastiest come down, had to stay on this sofa in the middle of like, this was somewhere in Australia. No one kind of, obviously, when I say my friends, they were more kind of acquaintances, free music, good people. But you know, it's like when you're feeling vulnerable, you just want to be in your own bed or around kind of your loved ones or your really good friends, you yeah, know, yeah. on your own. Um, but stuff like that was happening more and more, just waking up in a, under the stage at a festival in an airfield in um Oh, where is it? So another place in Eastern Europe and missing a, uh, the bus back to the airport there and just silly stuff that was just, and not just that, like dangerous things as well. And I just knew that things were getting worse. So yeah, I could sense it was getting worse and worse. And it was just obviously that last binge that was kind of the icing on the cake really, because it was getting dangerous. And I knew, I knew it, but I didn't have the drive in me to, to make that difference until that moment okay how did your family and friends react when you stopped completely I, I imagine family and kind of really close friends are probably aware of the extent that you're drinking but I often find that friends or certain friends might not really realize or certain I say friends people acquaintances and whatnot that you see on a regular basis at gigs or something they see you just out having a good time drinking with everyone else they might what they might not see is is what the kind of toll that it's taking on your life. So did you find certain people kind of surprised that you stopped it? Because I, I found for me, people like, oh, you, you didn't drink that much and kind of questioned how much I drank previously. And it almost felt, felt myself having to explain the reason that I'd stopped drinking. Did you find that at all? No, everyone knew. Did they? Everybody, I was an animal. I was I'm an absolute animal. And everybody that knew me knew. But it was a weird one because some of my friends, we used to have a good time with it as well. So some of them were like, ah, oh, a bit gutted. I've missed my kind of party buddy or whatever, but they got it. They, they, they knew it was the right thing, even though, you know, it's like, it's a bit different hanging out with certain people that that was the connective tissue partying. And, you know, <clears throat> with certain friends that I see now, it's not quite the same because our thing was going out and partying. So, you know, it was a bit, I guess for some some people a bit kind of, oh, that's a shame, but I get it. But yeah, everybody on you. Okay. And you touched a few times on uh, the kind of mental health that was obviously hit by that level of drinking. How has that helped your mental health, the fact that you've cut it out completely? Massively. I think, you know, I suffered for years from depression and anxiety, and now I realise a lot of it, not all of it, not all of it at all, but a lot of it was self-inflicted. Drinking to suppress the anxiety, which suppresses it temporarily. And then, you know, you're on this high, then you want to come down, 
which is the depression, and then the anxiety kicks back in, but tenfold because you're then starting to beat yourself up. You've let yourself down. And for me, there was always a horror story. Every time I got drunk, something happened. So you're starting to feel anxious and guilty. So it was this vicious circle of trying to suppress it with alcohol, but actually just making it a lot worse over a long period of time, many years of this vicious circle and this self-inflicted mental health triggers. Certainly takes its toll, doesn't it? <laughs> time, physically, mentally. You know, and I, I always say to people that suffer, you know, what are you doing that might be a cause of it that you think is actually helping? Like I said, for me, it was drinking. Some people smoke. You know, is, is that helping you really or is it a way of blocking it out like it was for you? should always ask yourself that, those questions first because chances are there might be some self-inflicted stuff going on. And if you can deal with that, you know, I still suffer every day, anxiety, depression. Last time I, I've had various assessments at hospitals and last time I went, I was diagnosed with chronic anxiety a good few years ago, but last time I went, they said that I've probably got type two bipolar. And I just said, well, I don't want to know. I've, whatever it is now, you know, I've had this, that and the other. I don't want to know. I'll just, I'll just live with it. So, um, but yeah, a lot of my stuff was self-inflicted. So that's gone. Now I have to face things. Cause before it was like, I never drank. Occasionally I'd use anger or some sort of negative excuse to drink. But mostly for me, it was like, cool. I've been on tour. That was amazing. Now let me just chill, wind down, have a drink. And I always drank to get drunk. I didn't drink just for the, hated the taste of alcohol. I actually drank to get smashed. So let me get smashed. Let me celebrate. Five days later, I'm still celebrating on my own. <laughs> and then 15 days and it's like, hang on, this isn't quite right. And it'd always be this thing of like, I'm a workaholic. I, and you know, my anxiety keeps me going. I'm always a million, a million miles an hour. And I never used to be able to deal with my own headspace. So if I wasn't working, I'd work, 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 burn myself out, have to stop because I'm like, I just can't do it anymore. Then there was this void, like I said earlier, where I'm like, okay, this silence, these clouds, all these thoughts are coming into my head. Right, let me just have a drink just to kind of push those clouds away temporarily while I reset the buttons. And then I'll get back on my mad kind of workaholic flex. Um, and then that was a vicious circle as well. So it was just like bang, 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 work, fitness, uh, like an animal, physically, mentally couldn't do it anymore. The void, alcohol, reset, feel sorry for myself, bang, bang, bang. And it was just that vicious circle. Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've found one of the things for me, like I've always been like relatively into my fitness. I've always been look, into looking after myself. And then along side that was trying to have this lifestyle that meant going out and getting on it at the weekends. And it just, it would hit me on a Monday morning. If I'd had a particularly heavy weekend and I wouldn't make it to the gym on a Monday morning and stuff like that. The fact that it knocked out my fitness routine, that, that was one of the biggest kind of indicators to me that like, this is just, it's just not worth it. It's just not doing anything for me anymore. I don't know about you, but I just, I'm a sucker, sucker for routine. And the fact that it knocked that out was just one of the worst things for me. Yeah, but I mean, I remember like towards the end, <laughs> I was a member at this gym and I, when I was on my, I remember being on my binges at the early, like, because if the binges were 10 days, the first few, three, four, five days, you can kind of, you know, still go about your daily business, but hide stuff, you know, and that's kind of what I'd do. So maybe two, three days and then it starts to get blurry. I'd do things like go and do 100 lengths of the pool, come out of the gym, go and buy a bottle on the way home, drink it and just do that every day. And I would, I'd be like, yeah, if I just, if I do my hundred lengths in a sauna, I'm cool. I'm still kind of half doing normal, you know, the routine like you talk about, but then obviously day three, four, that all falls out the window and I'm just a mess. But yeah, I'd try and kind of factor it in and try and keep the fitness there. Um, but yeah, I mean, fitness is, I've been doing it since I was literally 13 on and off well not really on and off most running gym something for like most of my life so when it's not there there's a big part of me missing and I start to get frustrated and tense and stuff so it's a part of me so yeah when that's not there it's another but that's another reason to beat yourself up right another yeah. way you yourself down 
So you're just beating yourself up. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to gym. I'm letting people down. I'm not doing this. And it's just another one of those things that causes anxiety and depression because you're disappointing yourself. Completely agree there. So my next question was going to be, what do you think the main benefit is? Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you're about to say it was the improvement in mental health. So if that was your answer, what what, what the kind of second main benefit be that you found? Oh, I can't imagine my liver was very happy. <laughs> the amount that I would drink in 5, 10, 15 days, I mean, it's scary. It re- yeah, we're talking hardcore binging, not, not just topping up. You know, you get daily dependent alcoholics that will just have a few every day, just keep it floating. I'd be like 20, 30 cans, bottle, right, until I just, yeah, couldn't physically could not put any more alcohol inside my body. Um, so physically, my health and mentally are the two. Bit. And just, I'm, you know, I've started a business. I'm just, I'm there, I'm fresh. You know, I, I wake up every day fresh and I don't have the darkness, the guilt, the anxiety, the depression and just being fresh is just so good. Even if I do, even if I do a gig and I get home at 6 a.m., I'm up at nine and I feel amazing. I feel a bit tired and groggy, but I'm like, yes, I can deal with just being a bit tired. I don't mind that, yeah. but still, oh, yeah, forget that. I, I agree. I actually quite like that, knowing if you have been out on like a super late one and you just get a few hours sleep, you can just get, I just get the next day, bang a few coffees and I'm, I can get through the day. And I just think, if this, if that was a, well, A, I probably wouldn't even be asleep. B, if I was asleep, there's no way I'd be functioning in any way. Exactly. So you mentioned that you don't, you kind of don't count it anymore. And the, the thought of alcohol makes you feel sick. Are there any kind of difficulties that you found along the years or have they, you find they've all kind of fizzled away and it's just, just normal life now? Literally from that day, it was gone. Yeah. But you've got to remember, I, no, I wasn't trying because if I was trying properly, I probably would have stopped long before. I attempted to stop quite a few times, not just not drinking while I was out because I was trouble, but because, like I said, I knew that there was a problem. I always knew, but I didn't always want to deal with it. I tried, um, but literally from that day, bang. I, I guess... The social aspects, to a certain extent, sometimes, you know, the laugh, the randomness, the random chats early, you know, when the birds are tweeting, or even though that, that's a bit of a weird come down thought, but you know, <laughs> then once you come out of your mate's house and the birds are like singing, you're like, oh. um, but, you know, the social aspect, it was, it was a laugh. And it is a different level, because I do think, you know, I, I admire anybody that can just control it, have a good time, reel it in. But for me, it wasn't even just that. It was how horrible I felt afterwards. Even if I didn't absolutely smash it, it was getting darker and darker. Maybe it was my mind and it wasn't always like a hangover because it wasn't really. It was A lot of it was emotional. But, yeah, I just don't ever want to feel like that again. And even if – I remember even when I was able to go out very rarely and have two free pints, which is – I could probably count on one hand – I'd still beat myself up the next day mentally. So it wasn't even a hangover thing. It was just this mental thing of letting myself down, letting myself down. And it just became this horrible, horrible experience that I just never want to experience again. And yep, some of the social things where you're a little bit looser and it's, it's random and, you know, you let go of all your inhibitions and stuff like that. I might miss some of that, but it's certainly not enough to justify even getting close to that life again yeah i agree with you there something i always like to answer ask my guests is do you have a, a short answer that you give to someone when you ask when they ask you oh why aren't you drinking because i find like we've just had a, a pretty lengthy conversation about this and you've given us an in-depth reason as to why you don't now you, there's no charge you're going to give some random person that you've just met a, an explanation like that do you, do you have a, a short snappy answer that you like to give i just i just say i don't drink if someone says, do you want to drink? I said, no, I don't drink. And if anybody asks, I say that um, I was an animal. <laughs> and I had to, I knocked it on the head. Simple as that. I, I'm o- quite open. I won't go into like masses of detail, but generally I'll say, 
wasn't for me. I had many years of, of partying and um, just in the end, it wasn't for me. That's the most common answer I give. I like it. Okay. And any advice that you'd give to people that are maybe in the kind of either party scene, dance music scene, club culture, that are considering knocking on the head, any advice you'd give to them? You've got to really want to and really know why you're doing it, I think, because it's not easy. There is help. I did everything. I've done one-to-one therapy, CBT, group therapy, Alcoholics Anonymous, alcohol, like you name it, I've done everything, medication, and all of that has has its place. What did me the best was the one-to-one therapy. Um, I thought that was amazing because it helps me dig deep into my past and find out why I was anxious and where that all stemmed from and, and stuff like that. That was real, real big help. But just asking for help and, and not being, don't, I don't know, just don't feel like you're going to miss out. It's, it's tough. The thing is, it's really tough. You've got, first of all, you've got to really, really want to do it because if, if you're doing it because someone else is telling you, that's tough. Uh, you probably, it would be really tough for you to commit to that. You, I, I, it was like I said, when she didn't tell me to stop drinking, she just said, you're going to die. I felt like I was going to die. So she said, she said the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And it just bang. I was like, yep. Like that. But, you know, I dabbled with trying. So I, I would just say, you know, ask for help. Don't feel no shame. You're not going to miss out on life, you know, cause that is often, Oh, you know, how can I, DJ without alcohol, which is bollocks. Of course you can. You just get used to it. You've just got to recondition yourself. If you're nervous, oh, well, it's no different to being at work and having to present something or being in, you know, it's, it's just life. You'll get used to those things and condition yourself. Um, don't use it as an excuse, because I used to make excuses. I can't DJ sober. The fuck's that all about? Oh, sorry, I can't, yeah, I can't DJ sober. It's my Dutch courage. We'll sort it out, mate. Like, that's what I have to say to myself. Like, you're just making excuses for why you want to get smashed. Just get smashed if you want to get smashed. <laughs> but, you know, don't make excuses. So, yeah, just ask for help and just make sure you really want to do it and, and you believe you can do it and it is possible. And the thing is, if you fail, don't beat yourself up because failure, and there's no such thing as failure anyway because it's all kind of... You learn from that. Well, why did I not succeed that time? Let me look at that and let me work out what I can put in place next time. So you need to go through the motions of falling off a few times anyway. I did for years. Um, I don't think it can just happen. So just don't see it as because you can beat yourself up about that as well. And like, oh, no, I knew I couldn't do it. Back on it. You know, just don't beat yourself up. Life is full of failures, if you want to call it that but we're supposed to learn from them. There's no such thing as plain sailing. So if you can take it on the chin, okay, didn't work out. Don't, do, you know, try not to do what I do. I used to beat myself up constantly. Um, oh, well, I fell off. Let me do this again. But yeah, it's not, e- it's not easy. It really isn't. But you've got to know and believe there's a problem. Brilliant. What an answer. Thanks very much for that. That's a great answer, I'm sure. I really hope people get some value from it. I certainly did. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing all of this. Um, it's just great to get opinions and experiences and advice, I guess, that, that people will hopefully find useful from other people in the industry. So um, I really appreciate your time. So just kind of closing up, is there anything that we should be looking out for? You mentioned there's two projects, where they both albums that are coming out soon or anything else you can point us to? Two projects, I can't say exactly, but two non <laughs> projects, um, one on the nominee side of things and one on the outrage side of things. Um, but it's pretty much, well, it's all been the result of kind of lockdown, I guess, just knuckling. I, that, that was a coincidence. I, I just, you know, just so happened that around about the time of lockdown, I started to really get back on making music. So, but it's been during that period. So yeah, two nice juicy projects that one should see the light of day, hopefully by the end of this year and the other one into next year, maybe spring next year. Nice. Be looking out for them. So yeah, just give us a handoff on to where we can find you on your socials. 
nominate sound everywhere facebook nominate underscore sound instagram um tiktok nominate sound i do my tips on tiktok as well and it's not just for kids <laughs> tiktok's changing and you know there's this if you're a music producer there's some decent tips on there's a lot of rubbish like on a lot of social media but um yeah so mainly those places but it's nominate sound everywhere brilliant Look, i really appreciate that i'll uh maybe i will head on to tiktok and have a little look um right, it's fun it is funny like it, it used to be just kind of teenagers miming singing that's kind of the original concept but my son's on there and he's got like 1.2 million followers and he does these um i've got a 19 year old and a 17 year old sons and my 19 year old he is um he does these comedy sketches and he's he's got an agent he's a you know he's getting a kind of sponsorship deals and stuff and you know it's different on there it's, <laughs> there's a lot of comedy value on there some of it's actually really funny so yeah i find it i think entertainment in life and uh yeah some of these things if you can kind of control it and you don't waste hours and hours i think you know there's nothing wrong with a bit of um kind of social media to have a laugh <laughs> Yeah, certainly if you get some learning from it, I imagine, I imagine it's one of those things that's quite easy to just lose hours scrolling on it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, look, thanks a lot for sharing everything. Really enjoyed it. Very much. so there we go thank you very much for listening if you've listened this far after the music you must either really like the podcast or you just left it on in the background um but either way if you could leave us a review on whatever you're listening on whether it's spotify or apple music drop us a rating and it just helps the algorithm get us out to more people and what would also help is if you told a friend if you think of anyone that might find the podcast interesting or useful please send it on and as always, thank you very much for listening. See you soon.